Hey you, and welcome to Deconstructor of Funds This Week in Games. Your hosts are myself, uh, Mishka Katkov, uh, Joseph Kim, and we're joined by our special guest today, as with the previous episodes, Mr. Eric Kress, at principal at Gossamer Consulting Group. Today, we have three interesting topics. First of all, we're going to talk about Next Games Quarter 3 Business Review, which puts the company in a really dire situation. We're going to talk about Blizzard and their latest release of Diablo Immortal mobile game, which got the fans super angry. And we're going to talk about Call of Duty Black Ops 4 that could be a Fortnite killer based on early stream viewership numbers. As always, please do leave a comment. Please subscribe. And most importantly, please do enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Twig 15. As in our last few uh, Twig episodes, we have special guest or regular guest uh, Eric Kress with us. So thanks for joining us, Eric. And on this episode, we're actually going to be covering three articles. Um, the first is not necessarily an article, but um, Next Games, based in um, based in Finland, uh, released their uh, Q3 business review. So we'll talk about you know some of the findings from that business review and what we think could be the prospects of Next Games looking into the future. The second article is. Um, from uh, about the next Diablo game from Blizzard. So Blizzard says it wasn't expecting fans to be this angry about Diablo Immortal. And um, I was actually there at BlizzCon, so um, we can talk a little bit about um, Diablo Immortal and um, and what those prospects are. And finally, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 could be a Fortnite killer based on early stream viewership numbers. And this is a little bit of an older article, but um, last month in September, uh, we saw um, we saw the performance of Call of Duty Black Ops 4 in beta, and want to talk about you know how it's done from then till now, and the prospects of uh, of Call of Duty in the future. So, starting with next games, Mishka, please please uh, please take it forward. Yeah, I was I was I was almost thinking about like, are we going to talk about that Achilles heel that you completely <laughs> tore today or or yesterday? Yeah, I had a really bad day this morning. Kickboxing <laughs> class completely tore my Achilles heel, was and not been able to uh, walk around very well. But yeah, it, it, it's a bummer. But hopefully, you know, I'm I'm hearing the technology is good to to fix my Achilles heel now. So we'll, we'll I just see. want to mention that's some dedication. You're like, yeah, I just tore my Achilles heel, but are we doing the, the, the podcast today or not? <laughs> so, so, okay. Um, yeah. True dedication. All right. Let me, let me talk about next game. So for people who don't know next games, it's a Finnish game developer and uh, it's publicly listed actually here in the Helsinki NASDAQ. And um, the company is mainly known for its Walking Dead games. So it has uh, one Walking Dead game called Walking Dead No Man's Land, a kind of an RPG, if you will, uh, uh, an XCOM, like a light XCOM version of, uh, of a mobile game. Really, really well made, really fun, and kind of allowed the uh, the company to to really, you know, to list into the stock because it was doing pretty well. It was always in that top 100 grossing list uh, and, and, and doing well. So... After that, they released this year, mid-year, they released a Walking Dead Our World, which is a location-based game. And that game tanked. It, it really did. And and I'm going to just re- read through through the um, through their 
uh, quarterly report or our uh, earnings earnings report uh, from January to September and then kind of let Eric do his analysis on it and then give my take on it. So uh, in short, the January to September for, for next games, the revenue was 23.9 million and a decrease of 7% in comparison period. The gross margin was only 5% compared to 36% in the previous period. The EBIT was minus 18.7 million, which, which was only 2.1 million euros before. So, so the losses grew significantly, almost tenfold. The organization grew at the same time in the comparison period from 104 to 143. And the, the total number of staff can increase during, during the period by 11. And at the end of review period on 30th, 30th of September, the company cash balance was 8.8 million euros. So this is an important notice. They have 8.8 million euros in the bank and they made loss of 18 Point seven during the period. In addition, the company has an unused credit limit of 5 million euros and the cash balance at the end of previous reporting period was 16.9. So, so they were down half of their cash balance. Their DAU was down and their MAU was up. So DAU below, below half a million and MAU above 1.6 million. Now the report, uh, this, is, this is me quoting their CEO, Dan Hultanen. Uh, and and here's what he had to say. So the gross margin for the review period was 5%, whereas it was 36% during the corresponding period in 2017. Revenue decreased as a result of lower sales generated by The Walking Dead, No Man's Land, which is their RPG game. Gross margin decreased due to launch marketing investments for The Walking Dead, Our World Global Launch, which was the other uh, location-based Walking Dead game. As the number of players in the game increased during the first weeks, some technical challenges were encountered, which adversely impacted the game's functionality and had a negative impact on revenue development for the game. As a consequence, the company elected to scale back the game's marketing investment to a considerably lower than planned level. Prior to the technical challenges, The Walking Dead Our World reached a level of 625,000 daily active users. As issues have been addressed, the number of technical errors has decreased, the drop in key performance indicator has leveled out, and has improved towards the end of September. The technical challenges have, however, slowed down the game's revenue development considerably. At the time of the release of of this report, both of the company's live games, No Man's Land, the RPG game, and Our World, the location-based game, are being operated profitably. The Walking Dead Our World's slower-than-expected revenue development, longer marketing investment payback times, as well as higher-than-expected server costs have affected the company's cash cash position. Uh, Further on, they they go in and they show that their strategy is still the same. They're trying to launch one game every year. Uh, Next game only does license-based games. So they have Walking Dead, two Walking Dead games live. They have one Blade Runner game in soft launch. They have a game in production with NBC Universal. Hence, Joseph can't say anything. Yeah, I'm actually directly working on that project. So for this article, I will not say anything. <laughs> yeah, so you don't know anything and then exactly. Jackie does not exist on this part. <laughs> 
And right. um, they don't have anything pre-production. They have some couple of games in concepting and prototyping. So when we look at their portfolio, it's basically two games. Both have a revenue, monthly revenue at around 600000 The installs have halved for both of the games, but, they, but the revenue, I mean, for, for their RPG hasn't really affected. So it's kind of in a stable mode. Not too big of a game. Uh, actually quite a small of a game, but, but you know, it, apparently it is profitable with, with minimal UA. Uh, they have uh, this Blade Runner 2049 in soft launch. And just objectively looking at it and looking at the YouTube videos of this game and then having, you know, a little bit of a swing at it in, in Google Play where it is soft launch, this game is not good. Like, it's, it's a turn-based RPG game with Blade Runner, the newest movie IP. So the characters are, I don't know, I, I might not be the biggest Blade Runner fan. I'm actually not, you know, fan at all. I didn't know any of this. I didn't see Harrison Ford. I didn't see Ryan Gosling. But it's just like, it it, it doesn't really lend itself to an RPG game. So it's 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 huge question why they did this. And the production values are, production costs for this type of game are pretty high because it's all 3D, uh, character-based, battler and it's it's just it's not up to par compared to the competitors like star wars galaxy of heroes or or marvel strike force or even summoner's war so for me kind of like my quick analysis before eric jumps in and, and and gives his one is it's not looking good it seems like the company is is running out of money they're saying that their games are profitable right now and they show some graphs where where the um the EBITDA for for their location base is up significantly, but you have to see that that what they're really comparing is they're comparing two periods. They're comparing the launch period where they put in a lot of marketing investment, and this period is only forty five game forty five days. And then they're comp- comparing it to the next period of forty five games after the launch, where they're saying like, well, now it's profitable, but of course it is. You invested all the all the UA investments were done in a forty five days period. Prior to this, and now you're accounting for for the uh, for the revenue for all of those investments. So I don't I don't see that going too well. I mean, I played Our World for a few days. Uh, not the biggest fan, but you know that's only my personal opinion. Their upcoming game is not looking that great. They don't have the money to grow these games. They don't have the money to continuing investment in their upcoming production. They're looking to to somehow uh, up their cash balance. And it's it's just looking grim, which is which is sad because it's a it's a it's one of the uh, one of the biggest developers here in Helsinki, which is kind of like uh, the cluster for mobile games. And of course, not happy at all when when one of our companies is, is suffering this bad. But Eric, what do you think about the situation? I mean, I honestly don't know much about Next. It's not something that's come up on my radar all that much. Um, it's really small, and it's obviously a Helsinki uh, exchange. Um, but generally speaking. Companies this small would never get on the U.S. exchange. Like they're way too small, not mature enough, and um, certainly not can't stand up to like quarterly earnings, <laughs> you know, issues. So this this is not big enough to be on the exchange. Um, so I'm not quite sure how they got public out in um, Finland. But um, I think I just agree with you. They just their portfolio products are good. You know, like they have some great licenses, but they're not executing against these licenses in any meaningful way. And even if they have technical snafus, you could see, you know, monetization come through in, in the first few months with the, with the R world, you know, it's basically a, po- a copy of Pokemon go and sitting about $2 or $1 and 66 cents RPI revenue per install. That's just not enough to support UA. you know, like 
you're, you're not going to be acquiring users for you know at that low rate and being profitable. Um, and if they were expecting 120 day payback, I just think that's a little bit absurd. You know that they were actually expecting that kind of payback or that quickly. Um, and then I agree with you too. The roadmap, Blade Runner looks horrendous. I mean, it just does not look like a good game. Um, and whatever they're working on with NBC Universal um, is interesting. You know, I I am a firm believer in licensing strategies. I think licensing is a good way to go in terms of having you know having an inherent audience just by owning the license and putting a game out there. But the problem is that you give these huge guarantees for these licenses or even small guarantees, um, and the game is unsuccessful. Then you don't have the money in order to continue to invest in UA, and you don't have the cash to actually invest in new products. So it seems like they're kind of in a situation where they're um, likely going to go out of business unless they get a huge cash infusion from somewhere, um, which I think would be unlikely. But we shall see. It's a pretty scary place to be, I think. Yeah. Is there anything a company like, I mean, so their stock, I'm looking at their stock curve. Um, stock price curve, and it's gone in less than a week. It's gone from uh, from about four euros to one point seven. So currently, the market cap is at is at thirty two uh, thirty two million euros, and it has been it has been decreasing. You know, the first drop was about 40, 40, 40, some forty something percent the the first day when they when they released these earnings, and since then. Every day it has dropped by between fifteen to ten percent. Uh, currently today it has already dropped. It's it's eight forty five in the morning. It's already dropped today by additional 10, 10 points. So is there anything an, a, like could somebody buy next games? Because when I look at it, it, it's here's here's my kind of like a full question. I'm kind of bewildered by this because you know I've, I've studied in the business school and and usually what happens is when you come out with this bad of a result and you're basically saying that your company is in a crisis it can go out of business by the end of the year or in, in three months or in six months you would do something about leadership but in this case they have no update on their strategy they're carrying on as was everything is good we're looking to get some more cash the games are turning out to be profitable. Um, things are things are okay. We just need a little bit more cash, and it's weird. Like you're usually at this type of situation, you would you would let go of some people, you would do some major changes, you major restructuring, but they have no. I mean, they have no kind of like a sense of urgency. At least not when I look at the public information. And and my question is like, could somebody buy this company and then restructure it? And what would they be buying because they don't have their own licenses? They only have. They, they only have these IPs that they've they've licensed out from others. I mean, there could be people that be interested in the tech, you know, um, location-based gaming tech, potentially. I think there's Which been a couple location-based games since Pokemon Go. I, they haven't done particularly well. Jurassic World, I mean, they've done okay, but this nothing nothing remarkable. Um, but my, you know, my sense is that they just don't, they probably don't have a lot of options from the standpoint. There's no CEO out there that wants to pick up a company that's running out of cash, right? I mean, you know, take charge of that. The only thing they could do is if they do get a big infusion from some investor, they might put in, you know, an executive to help run it. Um, mm. And and that, that would probably be a way out, I suppose. But from a from an acquisition standpoint, from, you know, like an EA or UB or whatever, any other company, I don't see where the value is. The, comp- the games aren't doing well enough to justify acquiring them in my opinion but you know 
Some people might okay. find him attractive. So from your personal opinion, would you, how much time would you give? Like, like, first of all, do you believe that that next will survive this, this, um, this nosedive? And secondly, how much time would you give them if you don't believe in that? Well, they're running out of cash, right? So, yeah. you know, a couple quarters, they'll be out okay. right, of cash. Um, and if they, yeah, so that's kind of the situation that they're in. That's why the stock continues to drop. Um, Damn. So well, I'm, maybe there's a white knight out there that'll come out, come and pick them up or help them or, you know, you know, acquire the assets or something. I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't look good. Calling for all white knights. <laughs> Please help next <laughs> games. It does wonders for the stock exchange where, where, um, certain someone doing this podcast has has some investments in so <laughs> so, so um yeah wishing all the best for for next games and and hope they can turn this around the if you haven't played the walking dead their rpg game our world it's really well made um Are good company no uh with the no man's land yeah is, is that the game you meant the, the yes yeah RPG? which one did yeah. i say I, I have to agree that that's a that's a well-made game yeah for sure so we believe that they can do more great games, but they just they're still shortened shortened on the dollar on the euro. So so help them out. Uh, yeah, let's move on to the next one. This is a kind of sad topic. <laughs> well, we uh, so Blizzard um, at their big conference BlizzCon announced Diablo Immortal. Um, and from my perspective, you know, Activision Management's really been talking up. Uh, Blizzard's mobile pipeline. Um, so the debut was super important, not only for Blizzard, but also for Activision. And clearly the fan reaction was a train wreck. Um, not positive at all, uh, really. Now, at the end of the day, what they really wanted was Diablo 4 on PC. I mean, they don't even care about console, really. I mean, this is a really super core Blizzard audience. And Diablo on mobile is just not big enough announcement to keep these fans happy. Right. Um, and because that was the only big announcement at BlizzCon, uh, it was just a very disappointing show altogether for the fanboys. So I think at the end of the, uh, what happened was is that just they just the vitriol hate for this particular game came out on the message boards and everywhere you could read anything about yeah, this conference. And maybe I can just weigh in a bit here too, because I was actually at BlizzCon and you know I was there during the announcement. I've got to say that. A big part of the problem was just the way that they treated the fans. Uh, in my opinion, it was just so disrespectful. Like the way that they were responding to fan questions was just like, okay, you're just going to have to see what we do. Um, we're just doing this. You guys have to accept it. And just like really like straightforward questions from fans that are, you know, really, really love the brand. They just gave these really empty, nonsensical, like, quite uh you know responses that were in in my again in my opinion extremely disrespectful so i think that you know they've really got to work on how they you know how they interact with their their customers and their fans because at least for me and you know i'm i'm a hardcore mobile free to play guy but even i was like you know fuck these guys these guys you know the the, the way that they're they're treating their fans is just just so terrible that you know it, it, it was really easy to see why they, they were booed um, there and why people were pretty upset. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of this is a byproduct of the fact that Morheim recently left. Um, I don't want to go too deep into this because it's not part of what we're trying to discuss here. But 
there's been huge turmoil um, at Blizzard over the last almost six months, maybe even closer to a year, in which Activision is kind of imposing their will and their people, and um, it's 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 kind of a bad scene down there. And Morheim left; his wife is gone as well, and likely the other co-founder is going to leave. They were losing losing tons of uh, development talent. So, n- no offense to the people that were presenting. You know these these are not the A team. These are like you know the second level designers that are up there talking, um, you know, getting their moment in the sun, and they're not really as sophisticated as the old guys were. So, there's a lot of challenges that Blizzard is going to have over the next couple of years, um, and I think kind of that ref- was reflected in in how they presented things um, at the show, but. Forget the haters for a moment. You know, like all these flamers, these guys that are just completely flaming on the boards are going to be the first ones to download this game, you know, when it comes out day one, right? And it's funny that, you know, they just they, they go nuts on it because the game actually looked quite good. My question really is, is, can this game actually make money? I think there's been a lot of struggles with uh, action RPGs like this, single character based games um, in the Western markets making money. Um, and it is Diablo. It's a huge IP. and but that doesn't change the fact that uh, you know Western markets have, have struggled with these type of games. Um, clearly, this game, in my mind, is being developed by NetEase with supervision by Blizzard. I don't think there's a big team at Blizzard that's actually working on this game. Right. Um, and that's likely a good thing, because Blizzard, despite their success with Hearthstone, really have not made a mobile game yet, um, you know, a pure mobile game, because you know, Hearthstone was just a port of, of the PC game. Um, Net NetEase has created a bunch of games like this. One which released in the West was called Crusaders. Excuse me, Crusaders of Light. Did about three million downloads and eight million in revenue. So not very big game at all. And it's but it's a beautiful game and really well done. And I think it seems that they're using this tech to help build a Diablo game. Yeah, and uh-huh. I, I haven't played Crusaders of Light, but I did play the demo when when I was at BlizzCon, and I will have to say that you know the the control scheme was actually quite good and it played pretty well. But um, yeah, and, and then when I asked them how they were going to monetize it, it seems like they still haven't figured that out yet. So who knows what they're going to do. From yeah, I mean, yeah, from my perspective, I think part of the w- reason that this game could struggle despite the big IP is for three reasons. One is the controls and gameplay, um, you know, moment to moment gameplay, this IP dilemma that they're running into right now. And then uh, the monetization design is obviously going to be the big one, right? But for me, like I, I dealt with this issue when I was at Kabam because we were creating a game called Star Wars Uprising, which I was almost adamantly against because none of those games were doing well. And there's a gazillion games out there over the years that have done, tried to do action RPGs, the Dungeon Hunter 1 through 5, Eternity Warriors, Tai Chi Panda. Uh, there's a million of them out there. Darkness Rises was the recent one from Nexon that was absolutely gorgeous, uh, beautiful game. It just struggled to find an audience. Um, yeah. And the well, most. Uh, Uprising was a little bit weird. It wasn't that like originally like a monster game that totally flopped, and then Star Wars was just kind of tacked on to, to, to that as a reskin. It was some, some kind of spell, spell something game. I remember. Yeah, that. yeah. I'm totally blanking. So, the art was fantastic, by the way. You know, and uh, you know, uh, props to Adam Hawk who did that art, which was fantastic. But <laughs> but it yeah. was supposedly a story based RPG that you were running through levels and and doing quests. You know basically Diablo in space Um, and not clearly is the production value that we're seeing kind of on the demo of um, Diablo, but nonetheless, a similar style game with a great big IP. What I'm trying to say. 
Um, and then the most recent one was Lineage 2, right? Lineage 2 was a blockbuster in Korea and to a lesser degree in Japan. And it came to the West and it just bombed. And Netmarble is still kind of reeling from that, uh, that you know, unsuccessful uh, move from, that, from East to West. Um, and their stock's taken quite a bit of a hit over the last 12 months. Um, so my, th- my thinking has always been with these action RPGs that controls are complicated, right? And it's not as fun day to, moment to moment. And that's why there's a lot of these games, you know, employ an autoplay system so that you don't have to sit there and control it on a touchscreen because it's kind of frustrating, right? And what Blizzard has done is actually made it more complicated because in the original game, you have like basically controls on the left thumbstick, uh, virtual joyst- joystick, and then you just were pressing buttons on the right, which is easier. And now what they're trying to do is you aim your fire or aim your attack on the right and then move with the left, which is actually more complicated. And my thinking is they likely will not have an autoplay feature because that's just not the way Diablo rolls, right? They're pretty, uh, you know, they want to keep the pure pureness of Diablo. So I think that's going to be a challenge. I think it's going to be frustrating for the consumer to, to have to, 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 to control because the controls are just not precise enough um, for that kind of game. So that's my kind of general thinking on the control. The IP dilemma is something a little bit more nuanced to some degree is that we saw this with the, with the core fanboys. They're like, this is not the Diablo that we want, right? It's, it's, they want a PC game, right? And, that, and gameplay and controls on a, on a mobile device is not going to re- replicate the PC uh, experience. And this has happened many times. The D&D license, the Warhammer license, Magic the Gathering, you create games and it doesn't reflect the core IP, then your core fanboys that you really want on board are just not interested. And then on top of that, you, you create something that's complicated, try, try to be more pure to the license, and then the mass market's not interested because it's too complicated. So it's just, a, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in, in some ways for this one. But the biggest thing I think they're going to struggle with is monetization design. Because these story-based games... You know, with beginning, middle, and end. You know, Western audiences are not about, um, you know, completing games or having some kind of gates that are that require spending in order to 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 move push forward. Um, this is not an issue in Asia, but for, for some reason, the West is not about that. You know, the pay to win um, is is a challenging thing to do on these RPGs for for whatever reason. You know, like games like Lineage Two basically are pay to progress and you have to pay an insane amount of money in order to really progress in that game. Um, and I think it is very likely that Blizzard will tone down this monetization design against Nettie's wishes to some degree to keep pure, you know, and do more of a cosmetic type um, monetization scheme that frankly right. will just not make as much money as, as you know, more of a traditional pay to win type pay to win type uh, monetization design. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the traditional sort of viewpoint in terms of the Western monetization for a game like this, the challenge is that you've got a single character. And what we've seen in terms of like gotcha-based monetization is you can monetize against a lot of different characters. Yeah. And so when you've got like 150 plus thousand or thousands of characters, like in the Marvel universe, it's easy to monetize against trying to have a lot of different characters at the same time. You know, Clash Royale, you've got multiple cards, things like that versus like a game that has strong retention and engagement like a Fortnite, 
But then you've got, you know, these, you know, cultural phenomenon in terms of the emote dances, battle pass system and things like that. And so like, you know, where does it, so to your point, like, where does this sit in terms of like proven monetization models? And I think, I think that, you know, currently for, at least for the Western market, there, there isn't like a proven model against an, in uh, ARPG type of uh, type of gameplay. Yeah. yeah, the games that have done really well is like, you know, Galaxy of Heroes, Summoner's War, Dragon Ball Z, you know, it's right. it's it's all about loot, the, you know, the loop of collect characters, upgrade, collect characters, upgrade, collect, you know, that, that constant loop that right. seems more compelling yeah, you, to the Western you, audiences. Yeah, and you've got parties as well as you've got different PvE modes, uh, you've got survival mode, and you've got these different modes that you know, create an incentive to have multiple characters and to upgrade those multiple characters. Yeah. And then the final thing is the PVP. There's no, Diablo is not a PVP game. They were actually supposedly implementing PVP in Diablo three, but it never happened. Um, PVP is another to help drive, you know, competition and, you know, leaderboards and, 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 you know, pay to, not pay to win, but pay to progress or pay to make your character more powerful. Yada, yada, yada. But uh, they don't, that IP doesn't really lend itself to PVP never really been in a diablo game before um yeah, I, th- I i have to say that i because because you know looking at the korean games especially a lot of um a lot of action rpg games in that market that have done phenomenally well th- there is clearly a path to monetize them really you know perfectly uh but as, as eric as you're saying it's, it's just not something that has worked previously in the western market there might be a chance that that with this type of IP, it actually can start working because we've seen the same thing happening with with you know like Pokemon IPs or, or Star Wars and other ones that that kind of I, I think uh, Marvel has is actually the best example. So back maybe six years ago when, when all these card battlers were coming in from 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 Asia uh, by side games and others, I remember when when Marvel War of Heroes came in and that was essentially the same game as Rage of Bahamut, if if anybody anybody remembers those, and that that Marvel game did really well despite being sort of a almost like a light version of Rage of Bahamut, just because it was an IP that people knew, so they gave it a little bit of a more chance to learn how to play it. So there's a chance that that with Diablo, same thing would happen. You know, currently the action RPGs are too complex they have mechanics that we're just not accustomed to and and it's easy to dismiss them but maybe with a diablo ip uh it would reach that audience where where you know we're, we're giving them a chance to to show what they got you know or the game a chance to show what it got i mean i, I think you might be right i i'm i'm being very conservative on my estimates for north america and i think there could be big upside in korea and china potentially if they do it right but again, if they if they neuter the monetization because of their you know purity of creativeness at Blizzard, then all of it's kind of screwed, you know. And I and these games don't download as much, uh, you know, generally speaking from the mass perspective. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. You know, the, the, Korea has huge MMOs, like huge action RPG MMOs, like Lineage M, Black Desert, Lineage Two. Uh, China has Westward Journey and a few others that are really big. Um, so there's some opportunities there, and yeah. Diablo is a big, light, big IP out there. Exactly, and succeeding just in Korea is is a, a jackpot. That's it. I mean, they they made it. <laughs> so so yeah. even that one is enough. I mean, we've seen the top games making fifty to hundred million dollars a year easily. Uh, yeah. So, so for, for for Activision that would, or for, for Blizzard, that'd be that'd be a huge success. Right. And, you know, China is the biggest mobile market at this point as well. So um, cool. Okay. So moving on to our last article, 
Call of Duty Black Ops 4 could be a Fortnite killer based on early stream viewership numbers. And this article was actually published in September, uh, shortly after the beta period of Call of Duty Black Ops 4, which is Activision's latest Call of Duty game. And this game released on October 12th. But, you know, last month, uh, this article was published by a research service called ThinkNum um, that talked about what happened when, uh, when, when Call of Duty Black Ops 4 released their Battle Royale mode, which was called Blackout. And Blackout is basically Battle Royale. So you've got your 100 players that, you know, all battle each other with one left standing, just like H1Z1 King of the Kill, just like PUBG, just like Fortnite. The developer is Treyarch, and they had a limited pre-release beta period from September 10th through 17th. And during that week, uh, very surprisingly, based on concurrent viewers, uh, Black Ops 4 Blackout destroyed Fortnite and PUBG. So they reached over 500K concurrent viewers uh, on Twitch, which compared to Fortnite at around 100K and PUBG, which was looking like 20K to 30K. Again, according to Think, uh, Think, ThinkDumb's um, report. And, you know, the other, like, very stupidly weird observation from looking at the concurrent stream statistics from ThinkNum was that this huge surge in Black Ops 4 actually did not seem to be cannibalistic to Fortnite or PUBG. So you did not see, like, a, um, like a downward trend in Fortnite or PUBG, despite the huge increase in Black Ops for um, Blackout, which was very surprising. We, we, we saw a cannibalistic effect to other, you know, to different genres, but not seeing it in the same genre was like, you know, for me, it, it, extremely odd. So that was the news. Um, so what, what's happening? Eric, Mishka, you, you guys want to comment on uh, what, what your thoughts are on, on Blackout? Well, I'm living and breathing this right now. This is kind of what I do right. my day job. So um, trying right. to figure out what, what is, what, what, what it means to have this blackout mode. And when that beta came out, it was absolutely phenomenal response. Pre-orders were, were surging and everyone was talking about how big uh, black ops was going to be this year. And unfortunately what ended up happening is it didn't really materialize as big as people thought. Um, and I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty, but at the end of the day, uh, and I, I'm using, I realize I'm using that term way too much, but I'm going to try to stop. But um, <laughs> what happened was is that they were basically flat to last year uh, for the first three days. And since launch of of Call Call of Duty Black Black Ops, um, it seems that they're losing momentum. Red Dead is kind of kind of hurting them on on the back end as well. So I haven't really got confirmation, but it feels like likely it's down year on year. And the the <laughs> The blackout mode is, is a popular mode, and I, I have no doubt that that is actually a really good mode to have into in Black Ops, but I don't think it's going to be the big driver that kind of a lot of the people out there that support Activision and are, are bulls of Activision think it's going to be. Um, you know, the reason the beta was so successful is that Ninja, which is a big you know, player for Fortnite and Shroud, were both playing the beta. First, I think Ninja was paid for the first day, and he played a couple of others. But as my kids will tell you, he's back playing Fortnite because that's where his audience is for all the teenage boys, <laughs> you know. And so he's not playing Blackout anymore. Their viewership has actually declined on Twitch quite a bit since since the uh, the beta. Um, and of course, they're not only playing Blackout mode; they're playing other modes. Um, okay. So, so my general thinking about 
Blackout is that it is, it's a PUBG killer. It's not a Fortnite killer. And I think that that's kind of the way I've been positioning it since, even since the beta, is that PUBG is not a good experience on console. And um, the, uh, the Blackout mode is actually a really, really good mode. They did a really good job of executing against it. And the only thing negative about it is the graphics are pretty terrible and looting is a bit awkward and driving is a little bit wacky. But otherwise, they and, and they need to build out the d- depth of the game the way Fortnite has and the way PUBG has, and that will happen over time. And the other big potential here is that uh, they may actually release a, uh, a uh, free-to-play version when they get it kind of all together sometimes in February or March. That, that could be interesting. But it's right. also potentially risky, right? Because you're basically putting a free-to-play mode that may, you know, hurt your sales of your next, you know, Call of Duty game in in the fall of next year. So I think they have to be careful on how they how they handle that. Um, but that could be a big game for them next year potentially if they can, um, you know, get the interest on it. So we shall see. Right, and just just for the audience, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not very experienced in terms of looking up Twitch stats, but uh, I, I did do a little bit of Google searching. So just just for the audience, uh, looking at a service called Social Blade of the top ten users on Twitch, um, it does seem in terms of the the top ten, um, four of the top ten list Fortnite as their last game played, and four list Call of Duty Black Ops Four as their last game played, and then and then a service called Twitch Tracker shows Fortnite with a 12 as the number one game with a 12.3% market share, League of Legends with 11.3 and Call of Duty Black Ops 4 with 5.6. So, you know, less than half of Fortnite, but then again, you know, it may not be 4X Fortnite like it, like it was during the beta, but still pretty good. So, you know, to your point about, you know, if they do release a free to play blackout only version, I, I, I think that could actually do quite well. Um, and then, um, in terms of PUBG Killer, I, I would say the one nuance that I, I, I probably want the audience to be aware of is that um, certainly PUBG in the West is is pretty much getting destroyed, but it's still very strong in in Asia and especially China, where you know Tencent is really um, you know kind of pushing that. And it's really from to your point in terms of a PC and console experience in Asia, like PC and console just you know, PCs declining, consoles not really there. So, but from a mobile perspective, I, I would say PUBG still remains pretty strong in Asia. Yeah, yeah for, I, sure. for sure. I, I also agree. I mean, on, on the uh, the PUBG analogy, not analogy, but the, but the fact that the Call of Duty actually stacks up really well against against uh, PUBG, and especially on the console where the PUBG is at, at its weakest. Other than that, I wish I could comment more, but I'm just not that. I haven't been able to be that deep into into um, battle royale games. The session length is just too long for me. I'm I'm more of a puzzle RPG guy nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I the, the one thing that I will mention the real challenge that I see from Blackout versus Fortnite, for example, is how compelling is it to buy you know additional outfits in Call of Duty versus something like Fortnite. You know, the kids you know, get the Hamburglar or Ninja outfit or, you know, some crazy stuff that they're buying on that stuff, which is super compelling. And it's also third persons. You're actually looking at your, your, your ensemble every time you play. Um, on Blackout, I know that there's a lot of fanboys of, of Black Ops that have been playing for, 
you know, 10, 15 years or however long it's been around and they get like old uniforms from old games and, and from characters and stuff like that. And that's super compelling for them. But I just, I, I just don't see the appeal of, of purchasing things in blackout versus something like Fortnite. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. Cause you know, when you look at what's being, what's actually being purchased in Fortnite in terms of like emote dances and things like that, I mean, there, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't played, uh, you know, Black Ops 4, but, you know, are they going to be selling emote dances? Are they, are, you know, are those, does it make sense in Call of Duty? Is, is, is it against brand if, if, if those, if, you know, if those players are doing the, like the floss or other, other like weird dances and things like that. So, um, but that's what people want to buy. And, and I also, you know, a lot of credit to Epic, but they've just been executing like very strongly relative to PUBG, which is the other thing that we haven't mentioned, which is that, you know, Fortnite in terms of like server stability, at least on the PC side and in terms of like deals where, well, like coming up with new game modes, like, you know, the, the, the dance floor mode and just like doing deals. Like, you know, I think there was a deal even announced today in terms of being able to play as like NFL players and things like that. I, I think Epic with Fortnite has just been doing a much better job. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're crushing it. I mean, they, they, I mean, they have new stuff in the store every day at five o'clock. You can ask my son who, Insists on right. booting it up to see what what's for sale that day, um, <laughs> and then the season stuff has been working really well for them and the unlocks um, for the season, and it's just yeah they've done a phenomenal job of supporting that game. Now of course, <laughs> Activision and, and and Call of Duty guys have as much resources as they want to make this thing happen. So you know they're, they're but if you look at their even their offering, if you actually boot it up, it's so stark and so less appealing than what you see when you boot up Fortnite's store, you know, it's, but of course, Fortnite is for kids, you know, for, uh, the primary audience for Fortnite is really kids. So they're definitely appealing to a different audience, but it's cer certainly not as attractive as, as Fortnite from a purchase, you know, from a purchasing perspective. Right. Um, kind of a random question, but wh where's, where's Daybreak in all this? Where, where's H1Z1? Like what, whatever happened to, to, to those guys? I think a first mover disadvantage, I suppose. They seem to be DOA right now, <laughs> but uh, you don't hear much about them anymore. Yeah, I mean, they, you know what's interesting about PUBG, and I, I think there's, there's there is still a super hardcore contingent of PUBG players that continue to play that game. Um, I think that will will remain popular with that with a certain group, but um, but yeah, that other games are kind of gone. But I heard some stat that once uh, PUBG since like PUBG and since you know H1Z1, there's been 25 of these style games released on Steam and other platforms. So it's right. it's pretty inundated with a lot of different fast follows. But Fortnite and Blackout seem to be you know distinct. I, I've got a play for Unity. Unity should acquire Daybreak and then create H1Z1. <laughs> you know, Battle Royale. Um. Anyway, just, no, just random I think thought. Google needs to acquire Unity. And well, yeah, they, I, I think I think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm we sure talked. Jr. About would that. love that. That's his kind of deal. <laughs> that's that's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I I don't yeah, know. I think what. you predicted that, Mishka, right? Like yeah. five episodes ago or something like yes. that. But yeah, it makes all the sense. It, Googling yep. Unity, the smash made in heaven. <laughs> so, I think we covered all the three topics, right? Uh, that we did. Powerful comeback after skipping one week. Um, thank you, Eric. Thank no you, Joe. Joe.
Um, we, good we're luck good. with the surgery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, next next time you're yeah. here on, on Vicodin and um <laughs> we'll get a whole different Joseph yeah. Kim. <laughs> Much more mellow and, and way more open. <laughs> All right, talk to you guys next week. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you folks for listening to this episode. As always, please do leave a comment. Please do send a note. Uh, we, I mean, I personally really enjoy getting getting all the uh, all the messages from you. Um, truly powerful stuff. And, and please do rate this podcast and subscribe to it, whatever platform you're using. And most importantly, please do keep in mind that all the opinions, literally all the opinions expressed in this podcast, are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. So Joseph Kim works at the NBC Universal. And I work at the powerful Rovio Entertainment. And whatever we say is definitely our own opinion. So that's it. Tune in next week. Hope you enjoyed the uh, this episode. And, and the next next one will be always better. Thanks, guys.